Hey, good morning. Welcome. Thank you for being part of Mariners today. I am glad you're here. I'm glad I'm inside, not outside. <laughs> My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it is uh, a pleasure, pleasure uh, to serve with you guys and to be here on, on the coast side. Um, Len mentioned that there was a time for a persecuted church earlier on, and um, if you didn't have a chance to make that, that's just something that I, I would like us as a church to be committed to. Um, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world can't do what we're doing right now. They can't do it um, in the open, so they are probably in warehouses, in corners of houses and basements and attics and in small little groups of time just trying to worship and trying to eke out what it means to be a Christ follower in a place where it's illegal, if you can imagine that and get your head around that one. And so time and time again, they have been asked, what could, what could people do for them? And they say, it's not money they want. They want prayer because they know prayer does things. And so we're going to take a few seconds and um, just pray for the rest of the service, but also pray for those brothers and sisters around the world. So would you pray with me, please, right now? Lord, thank you for um, this freedom to worship as we can and do. And God, it's so easy to take it for granted. Um, but then we're reminded that in lots of places in the world, what we're doing now can't be done, and so we not only thank you, but we also pray for those believers in Christ that in the midst of the persecution, um, the message of Jesus, which is what they want most, would be spread and shared, and um, and I pray for protection and help uh, for them. Um, Lord, bless those that are in prison because of their faith, help them to be released through quirks in the law or whatever. Right now, Father, too, as we are here, um, we've had a chance to worship you and now help us to grow in you and in our faith and and what it means. Give me the right words to share, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, you guys survived. You survived Thanksgiving. You made it through the weekend. It's it's pretty much done. Um, yep. And, and um, according to st- statistics, hard word to say, according to statistics, between last weekend when we talked and this weekend when you're here, you have expanded effect. You've expanded a whole lot. So there's a whole lot more of you to love, like 3.1 pounds more of you. You're welcome for that statistic, by the way, for that, for that number. Hey, and now, how many of you are starting to decorate for Christmas? Any of you are starting to get your stuff out? Yeah, there you go. We turn our attention to Christmas and, of course, all the stuff that goes with it. I was up in the city on Friday. Christmas music is playing. Trees are up. Everything's kind of going on. Well, look behind me. I mean, isn't that beautiful and all that? So we're all kind of getting into that. And, and of course, on TV, if you watch the television, um, the, the Christmas movies are beginning to come on. You know, not Hallmark. That doesn't count. That's always Christmas. So it blows my mind. But, but all the Christmas movies that are being shown now, and you can, you can watch them. And, 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 of course, there are the good ones. You know, the good ones are there. Christmas Story. Die Hard, which is the best Christmas movie ever on that. There are the good ones. There are the bad ones. The bad one is Santa with Muscles with Hulk Hogan. And Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. That's not a good one. And, of course, there's good ones, bad ones. And, of course, there is the ugly one. And that is that one right there. It's just horrible movie. Just uh, Will Ferrell in tights does not do it for me whatsoever. Hey, but there's one that's a classic, and, and there's one that most families say this is kind of a tradition that we do when we either decorate the tree or Christmas Eve when we come home, and it is, of course, A Wonderful Life. How many of you kind of remember that one growing up as a kid? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big one. 
And Wonderful Life, if, if you've seen it, it's about the guy named George Bailey. George Bailey is a nice guy, in fact, a super nice guy. And he, he ends up with a huge problem, a big, big, big problem. And, and the angels hear about it. And, and his issue is he has a wish. And his wish is that he had never, what? Been born. I wish I had never been born. And then and, and the angels hear about it as he's praying. And Clarence, and the, angel, Clarence the angel comes down and hears a bell and gets his wings and all that kind of stuff. But we forget the opening sometimes of, of the whole film. The opening is, is George is actually praying, and the superior angel says to Clarence, you've got to help this guy, George Bailey. And Clarence says, what is it? Is he sick? And I love this line. He says this, no, worse than that, he's what? He's discouraged. Worse than being sick, he's discouraged. Now, who likes that word? Yuck. You know, we don't. We don't like being discouraged. Discouraged is worse than being Sick, and and what we want to do is we want to spend a few minutes talking about how to get through the times of discouragement. Now we're in a series that we are calling "Reasons for the Season," and from from October through January, like second, things ratchet up like twenty five notches, don't they? Just everything just cranks up to just this incredibly hectic pace. I mean, you have planning, you have Thanksgiving, and now we have the Christmas thing, and we finally made it through that whole dinner and cleaning up and all that kind of stuff, and your refrigerator is still packed probably with leftovers, and now you have to think through the travel, and then the visitors, and then the gifts, and the food, and the cleaning, and the buying, and the cooking, and the shopping, and, and organize your lives around that. I mean, it is absolutely Nuts. In fact, our whole U.S. economy is based a large part on what? This time of the year. You know, they're trying to see how much we're doing. And, and we just got done with Black Friday. And then tomorrow is Cyber Monday and all that. And you're just thinking, how do I, how do I get through that? And, and, and you just kind of want to stand back and say, why? You know, why? Why, God, did you allow a simple thing like giving thanks around a table for food and the birth of your son get absolutely so out of whack and so crazy? I mean, it is just berserk in everything that it has become. Why, God? But we can find actually reasons for the season. And I think what we can do is we can take advantage of the craziness and the hecticness and all the other stuff that comes with it and we can use it for our spiritual growth, but also to help other people. And so we're looking certain reasons on why, and we can make it actually a season of giving. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how this actually we can leverage the fact that everyone gives gifts to give. We can give randomly, and we can give generously. We can give outrageously. Other times of the year you can give, of course, but now you kind of have a ready-made excuse to give above and beyond. You can open up your home to people you'd never open your home to just to say, come and have time with us, and we can then love on you in that way. We also talked about last week, this is a season of getting. We sometimes think, oh, well, I only give. No, this is a time where we can actually get, and we can get from God the strength we need to make through it, make it through. We can get patience, you know, for the family visitors that are still there. We can have grace and we can have forgiveness. We can get those things. Now, today we're going to spend a few minutes talking about hope, that this is actually a season of hope. And, you know, how many of us could use a little hope injection, you know, into our lives right now? Just some hope in this. Well, now, what is, is hope anyway? I mean, you ever think about that word hope? 
We use the word hope for a whole lot of reasons in a whole lot of different ways. We say, you know, I hope it doesn't rain next Saturday, you know, because I'm going to be going here. Or I hope the relatives leave soon. You know, you never say that out loud, but, you know, there's a kind of hope. Or we say for Christmas, I hope I get the fly rod to replace the one I dropped in the lake last summer. You know, those are the kinds of things that we talk about regarding hope, you know. And, and you could almost say, well, you could almost replace the word hope with the word wish. You know, wish. You know, I wish it would stop raining instead of I hope. I wish. We kind of look at it as a wish. It's kind of something that's out there. We kind of, in my mind, I just kind of wish or hope it, it goes away. And the way we use hope is kind of like this, okay? It's kind of like that, the little box under, underneath the tree. See it under the tree? It's a gift that's wrapped there. What's in it? I don't know. You know, you, you, we don't know. It's, it's a box. It's there under the tree. And let's say you ask for, I don't know, a new cat, Okay, let's say you ask for a new cat, all right? Pretend you were a kid again and, and you wanted more than anything else, a new cat. I don't know why you'd want a new cat, but anyway, let's, let's just pretend. Since we're pretending, we can do whatever we want. Now, now, you see that, and you've asked mom and dad for a cat, and all of a sudden, this, this box is, is there under the tree. Now, could you fit a cat in that box? I could, by the way. I could stuff it in. It's not, not wrong with me. I'd shove that thing in there. It's not a and so you're looking at this on Christmas morning, and you're saying, "Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a coupon for a cat. We're going to go to the pet store and get a cat, you know, later on. Or, or maybe it's a clue for me to kind of find the cat. Maybe is is in, is in the garage or something. But you think I hope it's a cat, you know? I hope it's that, but you don't know." In that term, hope has a bit of uncertainty to it, doesn't it? Because it doesn't look like it could be. You're just kind of hoping as if there's... But you don't know. You really don't know. That's the way we use hope too much of the time. With the Bible, it's not like that. That's not the concept of hope in the Bible. Hope is a lot more like this. There you go. That's hope right there on that regard. (laughs) Let's say you got up in the morning... And you see that thing squirming around and, and, and moving. <laughs> hope is like that in the Bible. It is something that you see and you think, wow, there is so much to that right now that this is no longer a wish. It's a confident assertion. It's so, I'm so certain that I can actually go out and buy cat food for that thing and a cat collar for that thing and cat toys for that thing and, of course, cat litter for that thing. You know, it all has to be, be there. It's confidence. It's complete confidence, so much so that I'm going to start basing and shaping my life around it. Does that make sense? That's what hope is in the Bible. It entails confidence and it can, it, that my life is now being shaped and moved and altered and changed by it. I am so sure of this. I have confident expectation for good in the future based upon God working in my life and in the world. I, my, my life is now shifting, changing. My behavior is different because of it. Not just simply I wish. It's an assurance, a settled assurance. I can make plans on it. Why? Because it's based on a good God. Any of you talk to yourself? Any of you talk to yourself? Any of you? Any of you? Yeah, chicken, yeah. There you go. Yeah, any of you talk out loud, really out loud? We all talk to ourselves in our heads, yeah. Um, any of you argue with yourself? Any of you do that? You argue with yourself? 
who wins? By the way, I was like, who wins on this? I mean, it's really not unique to us. Believe it or not, people do that through the ages. In fact, in the Bible, there's a verse in which a person is actually arguing with himself. He's talking to himself about himself. And he asks himself a question. And it's in the book of Psalms. And he says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why, why are you so disturbed within me? He's talking to his soul. He's saying, what's the problem here? You know, why am I so disturbed? Why am I so downcast? What's the big deal going on? He's talking back and forth to himself and to his, his soul. The guy's arguing with himself, talking to his soul. Hey, soul, why are you so bummed out now? Why so blue, soul? And then he answers it this way. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Here you go. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The strength of your hope is only as good as the object upon which you place it. You understand that? The strength of your hope is only as good as the object upon which you place it. And so, for instance, if, 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 if your life is like a ladder, and this is, analogy has been used a whole lot, the strength of the ladder, the ladder is strong in and of itself, but it depends upon where you lean that ladder. If you lean it upon a bush, it's going to go right through. If you lean it upon a strong wall, then you have hope and you can climb up it. If you lean it against something shaky, you don't climb up very far. And hope is saying in God, say, I'm going to take my ladder, I'm going to put it on you. And therefore, the strength of my hope is going to be secure and established because it's being placed on the living God who's in charge of my life. With God, it's completely strong. Have you ever seen this verse? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you, it's one of your favorite verses, any of you? Any of you know that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very popular verse. It's an up verse. I mean, you look at that and you think, whoa, there's a lot of cool stuff in that. I mean, hope and future, plans, you know, God has plans for me, and they're plans to prosper me, you know, not to give me bad, but to give me good. We like that. I like that. I mean, it's cool, isn't it? But like every story, uh, or like every verse, there's a story that goes behind it, and you really have to understand the story behind it in order for this fully to have the impact it's supposed to have. It's an Old Testament verse. It's in the book of Jeremiah, and most anything in the Old Testament is God revealing himself as he's dealing with the nation of Israel or Judah, okay, the nation of Israel that's, that's split into two. And, and God is revealing himself dealing with the nation of Israel, and, and this one was given to the people from Judah. Now, the issue that happened is the whole country was called Israel, and then they got mad at each other, or half of them got mad at the other half, and so they split. So they once were called all of Israel, and now the northern part's called Israel, and the southern part took the name Judah. Got it? I know. It's kind of hard to understand. Southern part was Judah. And they once were Israel, now they're Judah. And, and, and they, it was given to the people from Judah, and what happened is they were getting now beat up. All of a sudden, the Babylonians came in from the eastern part, and, and they beat up. Nebuchadnezzar came in, and the Babylonian king, and, and he was all ticked off at them, and the Babylonian empire was massive and strong. I mean, huge, a world power. And Judah was this tiny little group of people. And they had come in, and, and they had captured them all, and they hauled them all to Babylon. And it wasn't, wasn't that pretty. It would kind of be like the mayor of Half Moon Bay got into the fight with the mayor of 
Bakersfield or whatever. And, and, and whoever won got the territory. Got it? Okay. Whoever won and gets everything and, and gets the people. And, and well, our mayor, Half Moon Bay, he lost. Now, now, the Babylonians had figured out that, you know, if you can actually exile all the people, you go in, you don't just leave them, leave them be and put a few policemen there. What you do is you actually get all the people together and you, you haul them out and you take them to your country. Because if you take them to your country, they're less likely to act up in their own and they won't rebel because they can't because they're not there anymore. And so what they've done is they've come in and it would be like all of a sudden all these buses start coming in from Bakersfield you know, and, and, and they tell you you can take one suitcase and your cat if you want, you know, and, and you have to get on the bus, and all of us do, all of us residents, and we, all of a sudden we, we pile in and, and the buses take us down Highway 99 to the garden spot of California, you know, Bakersfield. And while that's going on, all of a sudden we're noticing that buses are pulling in from Bakersfield, and, and, and they are um, unloading people that are now going to move in. Moving into your house, okay, and and they're eating your food and they're mowing your lawn and they're using your kitchen, and we're now stuck in the Central Valley. That's where we are, and we got to live here. This is a situation. This is a situation that this in which this verse was was written. How are you feeling right now? I'm hating life, you know. I'd be saying, this isn't right. I mean, what the heck is going on? We're the chosen people, you know? And I miss the ocean, I miss the fog, and I don't miss the traffic on 92. But this is all wrong. You know, this is just wrong, God. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. God, where are you? And what the heck is going to happen to us living now in Babylon? Because our very circumstances deny that even God exists. So God says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Now understand it. They're sitting, they're sitting in, in Bakersfield in the hot, dry, buggy, dusty area. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you what? Hope in the future. Right now, there's nothing but heat and crops. But hope says there's hope in this, in the middle of all this crud. And you can begin to base your life on that and make plans for this. Confident expectation for good in the future based upon God working in my life and in the world. So Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Living. It's a living, alive, working through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See that living hope thing? What happens when I have hope? A bunch of things. I just yanked out three. When I have hope, I can live with... Now you fill in the blank on that one. I can't. You can. Fill this one in yourself. And what pops in your mind first may be the thing that you're most hassled by. The thing that's popping up in your head quickest. When I have hope, I can live with pain. I can live with disappointment. I can live with a bad marriage. I can live through grief. It's hope that enables us to handle tremendous pressure, tremendous amounts of pressure. Paul said this, we had great burdens there that were were beyond our strength. We even gave up hope of living. 
This happened so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. People who have hope and believe God's in control can have withstand incredible amounts of stuff. And they can lift incredible amounts of burden day by day. It says we even gave up hope of living. And what he's saying is, but this, this happened, so we, we don't trust ourselves but God. This completely changed my whole outlook on life. I no longer am leaning my ladder against flimsy things, but in God. If I have hope, I can go on. If you have the strength to keep going, you can keep going. I was reading this, that the first woman to swim from Catalina to California, Catalina Island to California, to the coast of California, which is just, to me, is nuts that you'd even do that or even try it. But she did it. The first time she tried it, she stopped. Now it's 20-some miles. She stopped a half a mile short. Can you imagine that? Getting all that weight, quitting half a mile away from the, from the end, half a mile away from, from the shore. She didn't make it. She came that close. Why? It's because the fog rolled in, and she couldn't see the shore, so she didn't know how far she had to go. You see that? The fog rolled. She couldn't see. So she just gave up and said, I'm done. I'm done. And a lot of us are like that. The fog has rolled into our lives, and you can't see God. And hope gives you the knowledge that if you go on, it's there. So the Bible says, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead even though the going is rough for a while down here. It's rough. Finally, if I have hope, I have the power to say no. What do you mean by that, power to say no? It means that we face a lot of temptation to do stuff wrong and wrong stuff. We, we have that. Doing stuff that goes against God's plan for me happens because I think God doesn't have my best interest in heart. If I don't, have God, if I don't think God has my best interest in heart, then I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what the Bible would say or what God would tell me to do. Therefore, I need to take care of my own life and my own comfort and my own pleasure. My way. I do it my way. The verse says this. Everyone who has this hope in Christ keeps himself pure. Why? Just as Christ is pure. Okay, how do I get hope? You know, you want to get started in my life. God says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. And again, Peter says this. In his great mercy... He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So it has a whole lot to do with God and God's work and God's involvement in my life. I love this verse. I found this the other day. This is God talking, and it says this, I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I don't whisper obscurities in some dark corner. Now, how many of you make bold promises publicly? How many of us go outside and just start making publicly bold promises? We don't do that. Why not? Well, because you look kind of weird standing on some street corner yelling out bold promises. But also, if you make bold promises, you know, outrageous promises, the fear is what? I can't pull them off. I can't do it. If I make these kind of these massive bold promises to people, I'm, I'm scared that I can't pull them off. So I will couch my bet. You know, I'll, 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 I'll work around it. I'll say, well, you know, if we can do it, you know, we'll try. Or I'll give it my best shot. But I don't publicly proclaim bold promises because I don't think I can pull them off. All of a sudden you have God saying, look, I have no problem with making bold promises. And, he, and, and here they, they come. Can I get Christmassy for a while? For, for you, I mean, we better because it's all around us now. 
There's a great verse, and it's in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah was written um, 700 years before Jesus was born. It says this, Isaiah 9, it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And you're saying, what in the world is Paul talking about? You know, I have no idea where these places are. Well, where this place is, it's in the north. Remember I said all of a sudden Israel split into two and Judah was in the south and Israel kept the name. They're in the north. And what happened is while the Babylonians would take out the Judeans, the Assyrians came and took out those in Israel, wiped them out, just came in and just completely blitzed them. And the first group to be taken out was the area of Zebulun and Naphtali up in the region called Galilee, up in the northern region there. And they got beat up pretty bad, and it was a very dark time and a very dark area. But remember, God makes what kind of promises? God makes bold promises. And up in the north now, around that area, it was just nothing was happening. Nothing was going on because the people were all exiled. They weren't there. And nothing good was happening there. God's bold promise was, hey, you guys up north, you got beat up. In fact, nothing is happening there. Your people aren't even there. You're going to be filled with glory. And you're saying, you know, say, say what? Filled with glory? What do you mean filled with glory? Nothing happens there. It's, it's, it's torn apart. It's wrecked. It's ruined. The people are exiled. It's no man's land. Well, in that area around Galilee of the Gentiles, and in Zebulun and Naphtali, that little complex, there was a little town there, and that little town was named Nazareth. Does that sound familiar? There was a little boy that was raised there, and he came to be the savior of the world, and of course that would be who? Jesus himself. Here it says this, the people who walk in darkness, that area will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. 700 years before Jesus was born. Then it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God. And God is saying, I make bull promises that I publicly proclaim in the daylight so all could hear. And what he's saying is this little kid is going to be born. In fact, so certain is this child to be born, it doesn't say a child will be born to us. He's saying a child is born to us. It's in the tense where it's saying basically it is so sure, I'm going to call it as if it's happened. It just happened. It's already happened in God's mind. And this baby will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Who calls their kid that? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before Jesus. God's bold promise is that a child will be born. A certainty. Then it says this. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will make it happen. God proclaims what kind of promises? Bold promises. The New Testament word for hope occurs one time before the resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament. After the resurrection of Jesus, it occurs 70 times. 
Follow that? It doesn't take a Bible scholar to understand hope comes from this whole thing about Jesus being raised from the dead. The book of John, John, who knew Jesus closely, never even uses the term hope. And it's as if he intentionally said, I'm not going to use that word hope because there's no longer anything to hope for. The reality has come. It's here now. It's hope in God's plan for our lives. It's hope that God has done something remarkable and, and incredible. And some of you need to understand that you can have hope in God's plan for your life, even though it seems like everything is going haywire and everything's going nuts. Happened in Judah, happened in Israel. And every time God made bold promises, bold promises of his hand and his work. And it's, it's that kind of hope in God's plan for your life that enables anybody, someone, maybe you, been victimized in a terrible way, but not only find healing in your life, it's finding healing, it's moving through the pain and finding the healing. And now you have the ability to help somebody else who's been victimized the same way. And it's the hope in God's plan for your life that enables someone who's just not sure about the future, you just you have no idea where life's headed, to just get up tomorrow and put one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other to take steps. It's hope enables someone to take a dream that's been shattered and watch God put it back together again. And that's hope in God. It's hope in God, in God's plan, that you can look forward to the future, even though you sat down across the desk from the doctor and you've looked him in the eye and he said to you it's not going to get any better you know that one day a better day is coming that's hope that's what we have is, is hope and I want you to have hope this is a season of hope in dark times God shows shows clear and real the reality of this whole thing is, is this isn't all there is if this is all there is to life, and I love life, and I love you, and I love things around me and the people around me, but this is not all there is. God said there's a better time coming. Some of you may need to trust the truth that Jesus Christ loves you. And maybe for some of you, the whole concept of God is kind of this vague notion and already Paul is talking about having a relationship with God through Christ, and you're saying, slow it down, we will. You could take it at your own pace. But some of you are saying, wait a second, I need something more in my life. And that cross that we, we talked about, Jesus died for you on that cross. And he gave you life so that you can enjoy forgiveness in life. We need to trust that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to come on up right now. And we're going to take a second. And I'm going to pray for you, but also kind of pray with you and allow God's spirit to work in your heart and in your life and just to think through some things or meditate on some things or just kind of respond to God with some things. Would you, I'm going to invite you to bow with me if you would, please. Or you don't even have to bow. You can keep your eyes open. It's Okay. And maybe um, you come in here pretty, pretty blue, pretty downtrodden, feeling like life's pretty dark. 
God has made bold promises that he's proclaimed publicly that he knows the plans he has for you that there is hope in the future that no matter what you're experiencing going through having to endure he'll walk with you and he can use you and use it for good you don't have to be a victim in this and people may have victimized you but with God the Bible says we are more than conquerors more than conquerors maybe you're here this morning and you're saying I want to give my self to this God who sent a son Jesus to die on a cross and I'm guilty and I feel guilty of the wrongs I've done how could God accept me and that's the whole point the whole point he accepts you not because you're good he accepts you based on the fact that Jesus took all your bad maybe you're saying right now I need that forgiveness I need to know I'm forgiven God come into my life Jesus forgive me Come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me with a love, knowing that you love me just as I am, all that I am. God would say this, those who hope in me will never be disappointed. You won't be. You won't be. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope hope that you give just keeping your head bowed if you'd like eyes closed we're going to move into a song right now that talks about that hope and kind of when your heart's good and ready just begin to sing begin to worship thanking him for the hope that he gives